This is a Carboline production. It's been said that if you want to have problems, coat concrete. But if you know the intricacies of the concrete and the surrounding environment, the job should go smoothly. Join us this week for part one of our talk with Paul Kennington, AMP instructor and coatings consultant about concrete. All of that and more are coming up next on The Red Bucket. All right, Paul, here we are again in Houston, Texas. And, you know, we've had some great conversations over the last couple of days. We sure have. One of the conversations that we had was with our friend, Michael Pardo, and we were talking about mentors. And I am lucky enough to do a podcast every month with one of my mentors. Uh, you, well, you, took, you. you took me under my wing when, yep. when you became the boss in tech service and yep. things like that. So that that's lucky enough for me. But today... We're lucky enough to have one of the early mentors I right. had at Carboline on the show. And, and one who I've relied on extensively <laughs> through my career. We didn't work together as long as you and, and he did, but anytime, always been a resource. Anytime this guy would come to town, I would just follow him around, be a shadow, <laughs> and just try to so- soak up any information that I could from him uh, when he was in St. Louis. Any advice that I would give to any young person out in our industry is if you're around uh, somebody who's who has experience, who's who's been in the industry 10, 20, 30 years, listen to that person. Yeah. Be that person's shadow. Figure out what you can learn because that was always my policy when I got in the industry is I knew I didn't know anything. Right. And it was let's find these guys who know stuff and let me just absorb as much as I can. Because one of the things you find is when you're following that person – they're doing things naturally, right? It is, it is thoughts and questions and actions and movements that are natural to them that even when they're putting together, I'm going to help train you. Those thoughts don't enter their head because it is, it's not even second nature. It's first nature. Right. And as the new person, you need to be able to follow them and say, why did you do that? And when you find a good one, they are more than happy to stop and tell you all of the thoughts that led to that. And this guy has always been there. He's a teacher by nature. He, yep. he teaches uh, AMP CIP courses. And uh, I'm going to stop beating around the he, bush. He has a fantastic name. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does have a good name. We are, we are going to stop beating around the bush. We're going to introduce my good friend, Paul Kennington. How's it going, Paul? Oh, fine. Thank you. It's good to be retired, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, semi-retired, right? Because yes. you're still teaching the, the the AMP CIP courses. And uh, he's being modest, but I think he's forgotten more about coatings than I know. <laughs> <laughs> At least uh, bad cases. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what we really wanted to talk to Paul about uh, today is because he, he is an expert in this area, is, is concrete. And concrete can be be you know he said it before we started the enemy of coatings and then that's kind of an interesting concept i've never put it so bluntly but i mean if you want to have problems paint concrete paint concrete i mean especially if you're used to only coating steel right it is an entirely different world problems can and will happen They, they are guaranteed and you have to be quick on your feet mm-hmm. and follow proper procedures in order to prevent any kind of problems. 
And, you know, one of the things that you think about is it's everywhere. It's hard. It's there. It's strong. You don't think about the problems that are inherent in that product. It is the most widely used construction material on the face of the planet. Yeah. Yes, it is. It is. And, you know, numbers that I saw that are probably more than a decade old was in the hundreds of billions of dollars. Right. Yes. And so we're, I, I would feel like it's safe to say that we're in the trillions at this point. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's important to start with, and, and it's an important to understand what concrete is made up of before we start to talk about coating concrete. So Paul, tell us a little bit about what makes up concrete. Well, let's start out with the, the most basic concrete that we're aware of, because concrete can be Portland cement, it could be epoxies, it could be vinyl esters, it could be all kind of different materials. But concrete that we're most familiar with is on our highways and our structural parts of our building, and it's Portland cement, and then it's rock, sand, admixtures, and water. And so ideally, as a person that has coated many square miles of concrete in my time, <laughs> I would tell you that we would like the water to cement ratio to be as low as possible, because this is where we have a problem with bleed water coming through and making our surface punky as we speak. Mm -hmm. And so surface tensile strength is the only thing that we have going for us with coatings, because their bond to the substrate is based on how strong that surface tensile strength is. And as a concept, you could think if I poured 3,000 PSI concrete and I was to do a pull test, I would get around 300 PSI pull strength on ASTM D4541 because it's about a 10% value of its compressive. Although concrete's very good in compressive, it tends to be a little weak in flexoral and in tensile strength itself. Yeah, so that's naturally concrete's not flexible. Right. <laughs> Even steel tends to be a little more flexible than concrete. Right, right. And so, but it's, all you have to do is look at our overpasses, our highways, and our structural material, and you'll find that it's widely, widely used. And probably the most coated surface in the world, whether it comes from aesthetics all the way to protection. It's good that you brought up that there are lots of different types of concrete that, that you can make a concrete out of almost anything with, you know, epoxy, polyurethane. But really today we're going to focus in on that cement based. And so when we talk about that, one of the biggest things that happens is, and you talked about the water to the cement ratio and things like that. Concrete's a sponge. Let's talk a little bit about the air and the capillaries that, 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 that are in that final part of the concrete and why that, that is important. Well, a lot has to do with the concrete mix design because after you get past your Portland cement, your amount of water that you put in it, and your rock and sand and different gradations of rock, different gradations of sand, you also have different types of admixtures that you add to it to give you certain physical properties in its environment. So with that in mind, we sometimes we have what we call the, our five basic types, one, two, three, four, five. And then if you see a little letter following it, capital A, like 1A, 2A, 3A, you see it's air entrained, which even makes the problem of coating concrete far greater because it's made to be a sponge because concrete is absorptive. And when it absorbs and you're in northern climates where it freezes, 
Mm -hmm. it expands and so just as we use a freeze plug and an engine to try to keep from cracking the steel we try to use the capillary action that it created during the mix design to allow the water to go to keep it from spalling this is the common word that we use for concrete cracking spalling disintegrating you know and spalling is one of those other things we see it it happens a lot with either water or when your rebar starts to corrode, corrode and you see that that rebar. So it's real common if you're driving down through the northern areas and you see it on a bridge and you see that rusty piece of metal on the background of that bridge support yeah. that, and the, the removal of the concrete. That process is also spalling. And it's, right. it's the same thing, whether it's steel that's expanding or water that's expanding. It's when that inward force is pushing the concrete off and it causes it to pop off into a, into a larger area usually. And that's where concrete has some of its problem is that even though it's very good and compressive, the properties tends to drop significantly for the modules of elasticity and the flexural part of it. And so concrete being hard, fall on it, you'll find out how hard it is. Sure. And right. so what happens, it, it'll, it'll tend to crack. Which can cause problems for coatings as well. Right. <laughs> and, and one of the reasons they sometimes just seal concrete, let's talk about not all concrete is in, in our area, we mainly look at chemical resistance. Sure. But in all areas, it could be from dust proofing in a warehouse. Mm -hmm. It could be for wear resistance as traffic passes. So there's many reasons why we try to better the physical properties of concrete. Still the most economical product that we can find that can do what it does so i think you know you brought it up a little bit but there's five basic types of concrete and and i think while we have the concrete guru here should get into the differences <laughs> right, between the the five different uh types of concrete well, let's start with type one what is type one concrete well, well it's what we call general purpose and that is it's what we use typically unless certain environments require something else Typically, there are house foundations, our brick and mortar type materials, and they're on our structural surfaces because it's the most economical material. And it's just all around a general purpose, has good physical properties. And in about 28 to 30 days, it develops the properties of the design of the civil engineer. Then we have type two, which there are certain areas that we know by pH that if we have an acidic soil, we know that concrete's highly alkaline, and we know that eventually they'll neutralize each other. So we have what we call moderate sulfate resistant. Type 2 is pretty common in California and the western coastal areas because of the acidic nature of the soil. I think it's an interesting point that you bring up that people think about concrete, but it's not the same everywhere. No. And the environment's not the same that we place it. And, and some of that's due to the soil and things like that, but some of that's due to local sourcing, right? Oh, yes, because it's all about money. So sand and, in Missouri might not be the same as sand in California. Oh, and that's <laughs> just it. You know, one of the, one of the most expensive parts is going to be essentially hauling dirt or rocks of some sort. And so you want to use it as close to the source as possible. Absolutely. So it's going to be different all over the country. Now, one thing that, that Paul brought up here that, that I think we need to touch on is, is the pH of, of the concrete that we're looking at something that starts at a very high alkaline number. And as it cures, that number comes down a little bit, but that's why we have to be concerned with acidic soil. Absolutely, because you get a chemical reaction. We know 
according to the pH scale, we have acids and alkalines mm -hmm. on the opposite end, so they tend to neutralize each other. And I would hate to be living in a multi-million dollar home in California and all of a sudden ask some concrete expert what's going on with my foundation and goes, oh, that's just the natural reaction. You're going to lose your home. <laughs> <laughs> The next type of concrete is type three. And type three is that high early strength. Talk, talk about the advantages there. Well, the, the advantages is where you have to build a structure and you quickly need to either perform chemical resistance if it's in that environment or that concrete needs to gain physical properties very quickly so that you can go on with your project. And, and type three is really nothing but type one in a finer grind and it wets out so much quicker and hydrates. And that's how concrete cures. We use, we take a powder that's gone through a rotary cune and we dry it out. We make it a certain size and then we add water to it. It goes through a period of hydration and then it cures. Unfortunately, we cannot pour concrete at the low rate of hydration. It only takes like 0.22% of water to hydrate the cement. The problem is the workers will walk off the job. So most of the time we see, <laughs> we, we see it at a, a two to one ratio. In other words, the water goes up to 50% of the cement. And that way it works much easier. It can be placed in the structural is there. But what's that do to the strength of the concrete? Well, over a period of time, it does very little if they don't overwater it. Right. It's just like anything else. Oh, it's easy. It's let's make it easier. It's right. always that. Let's make it easier. And the guy add more water, add more water. And then now the water is just like just like an epoxy that we all know of. You add more curing agent doesn't necessarily make it good for you. And so that's where we have a problem. And that more water versus less water really changes whether it's we'll call it concrete all the way down to mortar yeah. or grout. And, well, and then literally the differences between those things is the size of aggregate and really the amount of water. Or the amount of cement that we put into it. Yep. If we can put more silica products into it, sand, it's much cheaper than, because it's just <laughs> like making a can of paint. The epoxy, every manufacturer is going to make the epoxy the smallest part of that can that they can in order to be competitive and still perform. And so same way with cement. So we add water to it, which sometimes increases cure time. So that's why we go with Portland cement type three in order to give the hydration a quicker reaction. And let me throw in admixtures sure. or additives while we're talking about all these. And the fact that what we have is we have different types of admixtures that will actually take and pre-wet the aggregate so that it will not pull like the fines in there and the rock, the surface area of a rock is mm -hmm. great. And we, we want to try to keep that water from uh, attaching to the rock and react with our cement. Right. So that's why the water to cement ratio is greater because it makes it more flowable. Right. And so with that in mind, but if we can put an admixture on there that will pre-wet the rock and sand, then the water can readily come to the hydration period of the Portland cement. You know, and that's the, the, that ratio is important. And that's why in a lot of times you'll see commercial or professional, let's say, concrete structures outlast a lot of times what you see 
a homeowner or a novice do? Because we're all still using the same ingredients. Yes. And it's a matter of understanding how they're put together. And when you're a homeowner doing it by yourself, you're pouring a sidewalk, you're doing whatever it is that you need to do. You may add that extra water to help smooth out the surface or to get it to flow the way you want without truly understanding the long-term consequences of what that was, because it's still hard when you're done. Yes. And you can still walk on it and it's still there, but you may not have the original integrity that you thought you had because of those adjustments. And so if you prepare your substrate properly, Mm -hmm. and American Concrete Institute loves to see a layer of sand over your visqueen, so the excess moisture has a place to go. Okay. It's not trapped. Yep. Okay. And because not all of it's going to come to the surface. And so that's why they like the layer of sand. Well, that would probably help, you know, because one of the phenomena you see with that, when you put down that moisture barrier, sometimes the concrete, because the water can only go in one direction, will curl and stuff in the corner. So right. the idea of having that sand and stuff down first gives like that that's genius okay so wait let's go let's go back a step a vapor barrier truly how many times have we all had to work with the substrate and said is there a vapor barrier present and and, yeah that's usually what the question is but the idea of yes that truly is part of a good system is a vapor barrier a base for the concrete those are all integral steps that It's not just a concrete truck pulling up, dumping a cement mix out on your ground. The preparation that goes behind it to make everything else successful is truly important. Absolutely, because if the proper ingredients are not coming from the manufacturer of the concrete, the truck itself, and the people who have built the forms and put the chairs in to support the steel, Mm -hmm. it, it, it all has to be in concert in order for it to be good. And that's why sometimes we see concrete come apart in the field and no two concrete pours are the same right unfortunately because humans have a part so coming back around uh we are now at type four concrete what is type four concrete well that's your low heat of hydration anytime you have massive pours if anybody has ever seen 100 percent solids in a five gallon bucket that got mixed and did not get used <laughs> you'll see it go through an exothermic destruction sure and so type four is low heat of hydration so when they're pouring large pours many times what they'll do they'll isolate this large pour from another pour and then they'll pour one in the middle in order to keep the heat of reaction down such as the hoover dam uh, that's what i was just going to say this is the hoover dam is a classic example of yeah, this and chemists will modify and bless the chemists because they're the ones who get into the down and dirty. Mm-hmm. They will modify, either they'll take put tricalcium sulfate in it or they'll take it out. And so that's what they do with low heat of hydration. They take some of the properties out that will slow the heater reaction down and keep it as low as possible so that when you have a massive pour, you don't have a structural integrity problem. So now let's go ahead and talk about type five. It's closely related to Type 2, I would assume by the name, but let's talk a little bit about it. Well, it's high sulfate resistant, meaning that if you're in an environment where you have high acidic and certain clays and certain other materials can have high sulfate, which is acidic in nature many times, and so it will attack and neutralize the concrete. And so we call that carbonization when the concrete starts reacting with its properties around it and it'll start to weaken. As the pH drops of concrete, so does the physical properties 
concrete. So hypothetically, you know, thinking about this, we know that if you put concrete in and it's at a high pH during its cure, right? So a new concrete should always have a high pH. But if one were to come by and test that new concrete and find out that it's a 7 pH. We have problems. We have problems. But could it be possibly due to using the wrong type of concrete for the soil? No. No? No. Because, you know, it it forms, when it goes through all its chemical reactions, it forms a a rock, per se. And and the calcium hydroxide in it, which is one of the major binders of concrete will actually will always have a high ph and when you start taking any hydroxyl group and taking it down as far as ph you start weakening the solution because as lye let's say sodium yeah. hydroxide 50 percent percentage of it it's, it's 14 plus okay mm-hmm. sure if you start watering it down or you start changing the physical properties, it no longer will have the properties. And that, and just like making soap, saponification. Yeah, we, we talk about we we bring in animal fats or mm-hmm. acids and react with the lye or sodium hydroxide to get us soap, so that it will not harm us as a general rule. So what you do, you start weakening the structure, and that's why they so often do petrographic studies in concrete to find out where the problems are. So then what could cause something like that? Is, is just something going on with well, the it, chemistry it, within the concrete itself? or It could be the, the soils that you set it on. Yeah. It could be parking garages where the exhaust fumes, mm. you know, because you, you've got your, your different uh, vapors coming from your exhaust pipes. And so if they don't seal it properly and they allow that, to react with the environment because you know we know that anything can go from a solid to a liquid <clears throat> to a gas sure so with that in mind we know that we can start we call it carbonization as a general rule mm-hmm. sure we start adding other properties to it that we don't want and so now the concrete starts to become soft and starts losing its physical properties okay so we've kind of tiptoed all around it a little bit as we've gone through but the the actual cure mechanism and the cure performance the timing of concrete we kind of talk about it as a general 28 days mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about where that came from what we're looking for what that means well when a civil engineer let's say or somebody that's making a mixed design and and we go by sacks five and a half six and a half seven Eight, and it's just the amount of Portland cement per cubic yard. Okay? okay, and so we know that we can get a higher compressive strength if we add more Portland cement. Mm-hmm. But it, it's a it's a matter of variety. How much can you afford? And <laughs> that's the most expensive part of the cement. Yeah, right. Well, and I think real quick before we get too much further, a lot of people in the real world will interchange the word cement and concrete. Yes. And, I, and, I, and we keep saying cement, so I think we should clarify. Portland cement is... Yeah. What's the difference? Well, Portland cement is what we all call concrete. And concrete is just a blend of different materials. Okay. It, and so that's why you can have polymer concrete. You can have different types of concrete. But when you use Portland cement or a marl or limestone, you know, it chemically reacts. You, you take it out of the earth grind it, go through a rotary cune, make a clinker out of it, and then add it. And then you add water to it to make it right back to where we took it from. 
Yeah, I always say cement's the glue that holds everything together, yeah, and well, concrete is the sum of all the parts. That's it. That's <laughs> yeah. exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> it is. I mean, and so that's why you can make other, as a generic term, we all think of concrete as Portland cement concrete. Right. And it's probably the most widely coated in the world. If you don't believe me, go to Disneyland or Disney World or Six <laughs> right. Flags. or yep. You'll see that it's very important to them because it's not only aesthetics, but it's a structure. And so. One of the things that we can look at, and, you know, we talk about the 28 days, and you were I think you were just talking about that before I went on the tangent of, oh. of, of cement. Well, 28, 30 days is what most of the industries, and that's if you design 3,000 PSI, that's about the time that it should reach. And that's a generic term because sometimes it will reach its physical properties much sooner. Sometimes it will take a little bit longer depending on the environment, if it's cold, hot, and the admixtures that were placed in it. We used to use admixtures, chloride elements that we found out later worked against us because even though it worked very well for concrete, it did not work well for the rebar. Rebar, that's in there. Steel yeah. rebar. <laughs> yeah. And so when moisture permeated, it started the, the corrosion cells. So, and we know that that uh, quarter-inch rebar can grow as much as two inches or 50 times its size in the right circumstances. Yeah. And so when it does, it exerts a force, and that's what structurally cracks our concrete so and a lot of the times we used to talk about that 28 days in terms of that's how long you had to wait before you can coat it correct right and that's not necessarily the case anymore in in 2023 well actually many times you can put additives or you can go to type 3 portland cement which is a finer Mm -hmm. grind and then you can put admixtures in that will keep the moisture from going to the rock and sand and hydrate the cement much quicker. And on top of that, you could even use specific coatings that are designed to go on before the 28 days too. Yeah. It it all has to do with physical properties because if you talk about the uh, surface tensile strength of the concrete, it's generally about a 10% value as a rule of thumb. Sure. And so, if you know, if you can test it, there's other methods we can test for moisture, see if it's chemically reacted. But the, the big thing is you'll see that the epoxies and other materials we put on have a far greater surface tensile strength than the concrete has within its own structure. That's why surface prep that's not always done properly <laughs> has, has many problems with coatings because the coatings are going to bond to what you put it on. Yep. And just as you have mill scale to steel, we have latents to concrete. Yep. Well, what's that latents? Latents, just the bleed water, the watered down cement and, and calcium salts and anything else that rises to the surface as the concrete's being worked at the day of the placement. And that's a very brittle layer too. Yes. It's just like, well, you look at mill scale to steel, if you understand that, mm-hmm. it's hard and dense, but poorly adhered. Same way with latents. It's poorly adhered. So you want to remove mill scale so you can bond to the actual steel, and you want to remove latents so that you can bond to the actual concrete. You know, I I use that as an example. Every once in a while, you know, you try to, not a trick question, but a loaded question. And the, the question being, when you guys poured the concrete, when everything was all done, did you get a nice smooth finish, make sure that you had everything just, just, Smooth as can be, a beautiful troweled out, nice, smooth. Yeah. We're like, yep, yep. Uh, okay, take that off. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or even one further for that is they say, oh, well, what's the purpose of uh, preparing the concrete? Isn't it to get a roughened surface? That's only one part right. because they'll do a broom finish and say, well, we got a rough, rough. surface, yeah. but you still haven't removed the latents. Right. And, and honestly, you can tell them, just go tap on it a little bit with a hammer and see. Yeah. You know, that's going to crumble and fall yeah. off, and you're going to hit a spot where now it doesn't do that anymore. Yeah, we used to do the knife test or, or the powder test, and we used to do, you know. Yeah. Uh, the instrument that I liked the best was the Schmidt hammer. It was a rebound hammer that you could, you know, go to the concrete surface, and you could hit it, and it'll give you approximately strength of the concrete. And then I'd say, let's grind it and see what we get. Yep. And many times our physical properties would go up anywhere from a hundred to maybe up to 500 PSI yeah. simply because we took that weak layer off. So on that path, the 28 days that we're looking at, and we had mentioned, you know, there are sometimes there's coatings that can go on earlier. And typically what we're looking at for coatings in that area are coatings that will still allow the hydrolysis process to continue. You know, so most of the time, you know, those high solids epoxies and those aren't great candidates for that because they stop that process. Right. But there's a lot of very thin film things or a lot of things that are designed to be breathable, which will still let that happen. Talk to us a little bit about as this 28 days goes that we, you know, the I'm using air quotes, that 28 days where we're looking to get to and what that tells us. Well, many civil engineers know the, the factors of Portland cement concrete. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they'll specify as soon as it can support traffic, we'll put a curing membrane on it. It many times is dissipative or dissipative, however you want to say it, where that what it'll do, it goes onto the surface, it seals the surface for a short period of time and allows the moisture to remain in the concrete. Because when you blow wind, or anything comes across that surface, you remove the moisture. It and when sucks it right up out. Yep. Yeah. And so then it turns back to a powder. And that's why we sometimes, we can actually grind the concrete and get higher physical properties. And so that's why so many people use a curing membrane, because that is that breathable membrane. You just got to make sure that if you're the person on the job, that it's not detrimental to your coating as far as it doesn't allow it to adhere. And so sometimes people like to use diesel fuel or <laughs> oil, use motor oil, because yeah. the forms will come off readily, yep. but now the coating won't stick. And right. so with that in mind, we do have to sometimes use something that allow the concrete surface to fully react even at the surface, because if you don't, you'll get a thin layer. And that's why surface prep is so important. That's right. What we look at is the, the process that we're looking to do is to get to something sound enough to, like you said, support vehicle traffic or support the surface prep method that you need to do before you start. Because honestly, I mean, the, the fundamentals of surface prep is we're destroying part of it. Yes. And, and it's it's a defined part. You know, we know how much we want to remove, take it off. So it has to the rest of the concrete needs to be able to support that method of aggression. Right. Just as we take mill scale off to get to good steel, we want to take latents off to get to good concrete. Yep. It's part of the physical structure. It'd be and like trying to do abrasive blasting on molten steel that's still glowing hot. Right. A concrete is not as hot, but it's still curing, hardening, drying, right. whatever that process. And when you relate those two like that, you would never do it on hot steel. You can't do it on concrete before it's reached some level of cure that it can support this kind of. And we use 28 days as that 
benchmarking. And like you said, the, the people who formulate it know frequently to the hour of when it's going to reach that level because they understand the chemistry of what they're working with. Yeah. And if but that's need, if it's at 70 degrees right. for 20, 28 days with 50% right. relative yep. humidity. Yep. And so, yeah, we can predict something that precise. The problem is mother nature doesn't cooperate right. with us yep. and that's where we have to take it in I, i've seen i've been in many a discussion with people who say you say that you can bond to the concrete in 30 days i said we probably can but the problem is how good is the physical properties of the concrete so that's it for part one of our deep dive into concrete with paul kennington join us next month for part two until then we'll see you next time